Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Well, welcome to Branch Life. My name is Pastor Josh, and I am excited tonight to be talking to you for the last time from the book of Proverbs. We're wrapping up our summer series, which means summer is wrapping up. Tomorrow, kids, is the first day of school. Parents, yeah, right? We're excited. So we're, we're wrapping up the summer, and hopefully this has been a blessing to you as we have talked over these last few months about how wisdom helps us not only to make a good choice, not just a better choice, but the best choice in all kinds of areas, parenting and money and friendship and relationships. And and just making these right choices is absolutely life-changing. But two weeks ago, we started a conversation uh, based on the word fear. And tonight we want to wrap that up because Proverbs over 20 times says to fear the Lord. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this thing called wisdom. The ability to make the best choice every time. So naturally, let's talk scars, right? If you ever get in this conversation, if you ever saw Jaws, right, where they, they're in the boat and they want to talk about whose scar is better than the others. So let's talk scars. By raise of hand, how many of you have a scar somewhere on your body? Just on my face alone, I have three scars. And let me describe to you how I got these three scars, just on my face alone. One on my bottom lip when I got hooked by a fish hook. Another on the side of my cheek when I fell in church and split my cheek open on a pew. You can decide if I was running forward because the message was amazing or we were playing hide-and-go-seek before church started. And then the third, right up here on my very tippy top of my forehead, was when I went headfirst sledding down a hill into the hubcap of a parked bus. Those are my three scars. Now, I've got another one that I... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to... But I do have some scars on my legs. Uh, I can stick my finger in a soft spot where a German shepherd decided to leave his mark. Now here's the thing about scar stories. Somebody's always got a better one. Right? You start comparing and you're like, man, your scar story is better than my story. I'll one-up you on this story. And you hit a, bu- a bus hubcap. I got hit by the entire bus, you know. And, and at, at some point in the conversation, you realize, you know, that your scar is not as impressive as you thought it was. This is totally true of pain. We all have pain. We all have hurts that we deal with. We all have heartache in some way, shape, or form. We travel through suffering. But when you think about it, somebody else always has a more painful story. Pain is an ever-present reality in all of our lives. And tonight, for the time that we have together, we want to talk a little bit about the problem 
of pain. Pain or suffering is the number one reason people say that they have rejected God. Because of things like loss of a job or loss of an income or something that doesn't seem fair. We look up in God and you say, you don't love me. You lost me my job. How could you let this happen? Or when we we lose something more important than a job, like a family member or a loved one. We go through that pain and we go through that season and we look up at God and we say, how could you let this happen? You must not be there. A loving God would not allow this much pain into my life. Or when we get that diagnosis, we get that sickness that is, is awful and undeserved, right? And it's just not fair. And we look up and point to God and say, God, you must not exist. If you existed, I wouldn't be sick. And then, of course, there's all these other pains in the world. Not just the pain that you suffer, but the pain that you see other people suffering when there's natural disasters that wipe out entire islands, when there's sudden terror and people who are just innocent die, when, when all of a sudden there's famine and, and children who didn't deserve it are starving to death. God, if you really existed, you wouldn't allow that child to starve. And this is the problem of pain. But, but let's think about this for a second with this statement. And we're going to come back to this a couple times tonight. Pain should always push us to God, not pull us away from God. Pain should always push us to God and not pull us away from God. Tonight we're going to talk about Job. And Job is a really important book to end on as we talk about Proverbs. Job is considered a wisdom literature book, just like Proverbs. And it illustrates us for us the wisdom living that we all want to try to attain. If we can live like Job, we will have figured out the book of Proverbs. Now here's the thing about Job. You don't want to start comparing scar stories when Job is at the dinner table. You start to say, you know what, I've got this scar. My fi- when the window came down on my finger, and Job's like, I can top that. And tonight we want to introduce you to the character of Job or remind you the, about uh, his life and his practice so that we can learn some lessons about wisdom and learn about how to deal with the problem of pain. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Job chapter 1. We'll be in Job 1. We'll also be in Job 23 this evening, and the verses will also be up on the screen. Let let me pray for us, Lord. God, as you are here with us tonight, we're going to dive into a topic and wrap up a series. And God, I ask that you would be present with us. God, that you would speak into each of our hearts what you would have us to hear. Some of us are wrestling with deep pain and heartache today. And God, I pray you would speak to that and heal that. And God, allow this conversation that we have to strengthen our connection to you this evening. Move powerfully in this talk and speak your words in this time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So Job chapter 1, starting in verse 8, you read this. The Lord said to Satan, we're going to come back to that, but that's just a really interesting sentence. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So let's start back up at the top. We don't have enough time tonight to go into the theological implications of just the first sentence. But God and Satan are having a conversation. And God is saying to Satan, have you considered Job? Now, Satan's purpose in this conversation is to seek out, and the Bible talks about Satan doing this on a regular basis, seeking out someone who he can attack, someone who he can challenge, someone who he can pull away from God. And Satan is constantly doing this all throughout the earth. There's an interesting theology about where suffering comes from and who causes suffering and why is pain in this world. And Satan is a part of that equation, but so is God. And so God and Satan have this conversation and God says, have you considered Job? Now, why did God bring up Job? Job is described as the most righteous person on the planet. So if you're trying to get to this place where you're the most righteous person on the planet, you may want to shoot for number two and not necessarily number one. Because when you're number one, God points you out to Satan. And God said, hey, have you considered Job? There's none like him. He's the most righteous person that there is. And the reason he is righteous is because he fears God. Job understood what it meant to fear God. Job was a living embodiment of someone who lived their life in and with the fear of God. Tonight, if you still don't understand what it means to fear God, just look at Job. Just look at Job. Last, uh, two weeks ago, as we had our conversation about fear, we, we taught that fear moves you. And we had a part one conversation talking about why fear moves you. Let me remind you of something. If I was swimming in the ocean and I opened my eyes and I looked down and I saw this, I would move, right? Fear would cause sudden movement in my body and I would become faster than Michael Phelps in this particular moment. And as fast as I could go, as far as I could go, I would get out of there because I am fearful of sharks. Listen to me. Fear moves you. And fear moves you into action. Let me remind you of a couple stories that we talked about two weeks ago. If you want to dive into this fully, you can go online and watch the entire message. But remember this. The disciples showed us that the fear of God moves us from all other fears. This giant storm came, and they were scared of the storm. They were scared of dying. Jesus was sleeping. They woke him up, and Jesus went, storm, stop, and it stopped. And all of a sudden, the disciples went from being scared of the storm to being scared of Jesus. They no longer feared the storm. They now feared God because they realized there was something more powerful than a storm, and it's Jesus. The fear of God moves you away from all other fears. So we said fight fear with fear. And if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling with fear of the future of death, of disease, you need to fight that fear by fearing God because he is more powerful than all of those things. Then you will be able to sleep at night. Then you will not be fearful of sudden terror, Proverbs tells us. Jonah gave us an illustration of fear. The fear of God moves us away from sin. When you know that God is watching and you know that he will correct your mistakes, when you know that God is powerful, you will avoid sin. 
so that because of the fear of God. Moses showed us that the fear of God moves us into a posture of humble reverence. When I see him in all of his splendor and glory, I can't help but fall down before him and say, God, I am nothing in front of you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we live our lives in humble reverence when we understand the fear of the Lord. And Noah showed us that the fear of God moves us into bold, life-saving action. Some of you are here today and you have friends and family and loved ones that need Jesus, but you're too nervous, you're too scared, you're too concerned about what having a conversation, uh, giving an invitation to someone to come to Christ would do to your relationship. When you fear God, you are empowered and moved into bold, life-saving action, knowing that God is the one behind everything. Fear God and see how he uses you in this life and in this time to do incredible things. Now today we focus on just one story, and that's the story of Job. Now the principle about fear moving us from Job is simply this. The fear of God moves us to righteous living. The fear of God moves us to righteous living. Look at this verse in Job chapter 23 starting in verse 11 and through 16, it says this. This is Job speaking. My foot has held fast to his, God's, steps. I have kept his ways. I have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my food. Job was a fan of following God. It mattered to him. It mattered to him that he would make the choice that God would want him to make. It mattered to him that if God said don't, he wouldn't. And if God said do, he did. It mattered to him that he was doing and following the commands, the precepts, the path that God had set for him. I just want you to consider tonight in this moment, is there something in your life that you are doing that you know God is not for? The fear of God will turn you from that behavior. Is there something in your life that you should be doing that you are not, that God would like you to do? The fear of God will move you to do that behavior. This is how Job lived his life, and this is how Job made every decision. Why? Why was he able to do that? How could anybody do that? I am terrified at his presence. Like Moses, he fell on his face at the presence of God. When I consider I am in dread of him, like Nineveh, when they heard God was going to punish them unless they repented, they were in dread of God, and then they repented and turned towards him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, like the disciples seeing that Jesus had power over the storm. That grasp, that understanding of the fear of God caused Job to make the right choice every time he had a choice to make. And life is choices. So, this would be the equation that we would then uh, put out for Job's life. Job was a man who feared the Lord. He feared the Lord, then he lived a righteous life, and the result was 
the most amazing life ever, right? This guy had it all. He made every financial decision correctly. He made every parenting decision correctly. He made every relationship decision correctly. He made every friendship decision correctly. He feared God. He lived a righteous life. He must have had everything. This is Job's equation. He lost it all. All right, hold on, Pastor Josh. You spent all summer telling us to make the best choice just so we could lose everything. Job was someone who followed after God. And as a result of his righteous living, he lost his entire livelihood. Job was someone who was like somewhere in the Bill Gates vicinity of successful. And he had everything that you wanted to have uh, in a, in a business life back in Old Testament times. And the story of Job tells us that he lost his entire livelihood, all of his workers, in one foul swoop of a day. His employees kept coming to him and reporting to him that his stuff had been stolen, that his, that his, his livelihood had been taken, that he had been robbed, that his workers had been uh, uh, killed and eliminated, and he was now penniless. It gets worse after the reports about losing his job. He had 10 kids that were having some sort of birthday party at one of their houses, and he wasn't able to be there, but there was a terrible wind that came, and the house collapsed, and in a sudden moment, Job lost every single one of his children. Gone. And then, to make it worse, while mourning his kids... While all of a sudden being penniless, he got as sick as sick could be. So physically ill with a disease that's so not fair and so painful. And he found himself in just a pit of despair because he said, Lord, I feared you. I lived a righteous life. Why am I in so much pain? I remember the problem of pain. Pain is should push us towards God, not pull us away from God. And here's something that we can learn from Job's story. In the book of Job, we see this truth. With or without God, there will be suffering. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're doing everything you can to fear God and make wise choices, I guarantee you, you will still suffer. But so will the person who doesn't believe in God. So will the person who has no faith. And they go through life just doing the best they can. They will also suffer. The Bible says in this world, no matter who you are, you will have trouble. Guaranteed. We all have pain. And we all have the scars to prove it. Now pain is going to speak something to you. Pain has a voice, and pain declares statements in the midst of it that are most of the time lies. In the book of Job, the voice of pain shows up in three friends 
who were advisors or friends of him, and they did the right thing. They came to offer him comfort. They came to be by his side. That's what good friends should do. And if you read the book of Job, you'll see this. And they start philosophizing and wondering out loud why all this happened. They don't know about the conversation that Satan and God had. And they look at Job, and basically the theme of their conversation and the, the, the statement that pain will make in this moment is this. You did something wrong. And often when we're going through pain, we hear this voice saying to, to ourselves, I did something wrong. Something that I have done has caused this extreme pain to come into my life. Now I want you to know right here and right now that this is a lie. This is a lie that is spoken by pain. And it does not represent the truth. Here's the truth. If your pain is caused by something you've done wrong, you will know it. You will know it. It won't be a something. It won't be a mystery. And there is pain that comes into our lives because we made a poor choice. If I decided to drive drunk and I got into an accident, the pain that I have is a result of something I did wrong. But I know exactly what that was. Here's the other truth. Most of the pain that we have in our lives has nothing to do with you. You think about the kids whose parents have been fighting for years. And they've hid themselves away when the, the volume got too loud and the arguments got too aggressive. And then after years of this conflict in the home, the mom and the dad split up. And they go their separate ways. And the children are sitting there, and they're saying to themselves, I must have done something wrong. You and I both know that they had nothing to do with their parents' divorce or the pain that they are feeling. When you get a sickness like cancer or Alzheimer's or arthritis, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not a result of a choice that you made. It's just pain. And pain enters into all of our world, whether we like it or not. Whether we make good or bad choices or not, pain is a constant reality. The second voice that Job heard was the voice of pain saying, curse God and die. This voice came in Job's story through his wife. And she had seen the amount of pain he was in. She was in a significant amount of pain herself. And she saw him trying still to honor and talk and have a conversation with God. He had moments with God where he was yelling him, listen, if you're in pain and you're upset with God, just yell at him. He can take it. Job did. And Job was yelling at God. He was wrestling with what was going on. And she came to him and said, just curse God and die. Here's the lie that pain speaks out. Pain will speak out a lie that says it's not worth fighting anymore. It's better to be gone than it is to feel this pain. That's a lie. Don't believe it for a second because the truth is you have unlimited access to joy and peace and light in this lifetime no matter what pain you're feeling. That's the truth. And here's the other lie that this statement implies. The other lie is that God is not good. Pain will yell at you 
and lie to you and tell you that God is not good. Just curse him. I mean, if he really loved you, this wouldn't be happening. I mean, if God was really present, this wouldn't be the pain that you feel. God must have it out for you. And so if he's doing this to you, just curse him and just get it over with. The lie is that God is not good. The truth is God is always good. God is always good. Now in the moments that we have left, we don't have time to talk about a lot of this theology to how, how we deal with pain and how is God still good in the midst of it. But we've set aside four weeks in September and we're going to start a series on September 8th called Rest for the Stressed. And we're going to dissect and dive into this conversation. How do we deal with pain and hurt and suffering and worry and anxiety in a time, in a culture where anxiety levels are at an all-time high? And we're going to have a, a, a really awesome conversation about wrestling with this as Christians and even as non-Christians. And I want to encourage you to set aside these evenings to be here. I also want to encourage you to do everything in your power to invite people to be a part of this. This is going to be uh, kicked off at our kickoff Sunday on September 8th. And we're asking everyone who's a regular part of Branch Life to invite 10 people. Listen, that's a challenge. That's not an easy thing to do. But we're giving you cards. You have one card on your chair right now. If there's nobody next to you, you have two cards. And I want you to leave tonight with at least 10 cards and pray over who can we invite. You can use the cards. You can push it on social media. You can text stuff out. You can make a phone call. But let people know that we're going to be having this conversation because this is a desperately needed conversation in our day and in our time. And God has some incredible answers to the problem of pain and the problem of anxiety and the problem of hurt and worry and stress. So we're going to dive into this later. And we want you to be a part of that conversation. But tonight, think about this. Suffering or pain is a part of God's plan. And I don't have all the answers to why. But suffering and pain is a part of God's plan. His sovereign plan. And you can either choose to hate him for it or you can love him for it. That's the choice that's on the table. The reality is suffering and pain exist. It exists for us all. God is sovereign. He is still in control. Therefore, pain and suffering are a part of his plan. I can hate him for it. Or I can love him for it. And tonight, I want to say to you, I don't know what life would be like if I pushed God out of mine. To go through life without God, to deal with pain without the presence of God, is a hopeless life. That's a life then based on my power and my strength. And I don't have that much power or that much strength. That's, that's a pain that for me would be unbearable in so many ways. But on the other hand, if I choose to run towards God and choose to love him for his plan and trust that he is good and know that there is something in this, God's promises flood my pain away. Look at this verse in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials or pain of various kinds, that is crazy talk. Does that hurt? 
smile. Something amazing is happening. Because God is amazing. Count it all joy when you go through trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks, right? Now, here's a safety net. If you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know where to turn or where to go, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person is unstable in all of his ways. If you choose to love God in pain, you will have strength and stability. If you choose to hate God in pain, you will be tossed around like a bobber in the waves. Choose to love God. Choose to run after God. The promises of God are this. If you cast your cares on him, he will care for you. If you trust him, he will direct your paths. If you ask him, he will give you wisdom. If you talk to him, he will give you peace and be your strength. Pain should push us towards God, not pull us away from God. So tonight, if you are dealing with pain, if you are dealing with hurt, and we all are, and you are overwhelmed by that pain or that hurt, I want to encourage you tonight to run to God. In the months and days and weeks immediately following the 9-11 attacks, the churches, particularly the churches in New York City, started holding round-the-clock services. Because as that city and this nation felt pain, there were a lot of people that realized they needed God. And I don't know God's purpose and all the pain. I don't know how he's fleshed this out and why it's a part of his plan. But when you are in trial and when you are in suffering, God is there for you. When you are in trial and when you are in suffering and when you are in pain, God wants to be a part of the healing process. And if you push him out, you are losing the one thing that can heal you from that pain. So where do you start? In your pain, where do you go? Fear is the beginning. Fear is the beginning. Tonight, choose to believe God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, and fear him. I obeyed my parents when I was a little boy because of two specific reasons. One was the wooden spoon that sat on the counter in the kitchen, and two was the small two-by-four that held the sliding gas door open. Mom's paddle of choice was weapon one, Father's paddle of choice was weapon two. My reaction to those two stimuli was to be an obedient, respectful, truth-filled child. And out of the five, I was the best. By far. I obeyed. I believed they would do what they said they would do. I believed they who were who they said they were. And that's where you start when you're a child. That's where you start where you don't know what to do. If something's going on in your life that shouldn't be there, stop it because God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. If you're trusting in yourself for salvation, don't because God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. 
Put your faith, your trust, and your fear in God. Job was a man who feared the Lord. That's the description of Job. And then look at what God did for him. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. The first half where he lost everything. God was still present in the pain, losing his job, losing his family, losing his health. God was there, and Job still feared the Lord. And after this, Job lived 140 years. I'm not going for that. And saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. Job died an old man and full of days. In other words, a heart that was filled with everything that he got to experience. God said that Jesus has come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. In this way, this equation is true and it's also true of Job. Job feared the Lord, he lived a righteous life, and he received blessings. That is the equation for everyone who follows after God with their lives. And yes, there will be pain along the way. Don't let that push you away from God. Fear is the beginning, but love is the ending. Fear is the beginning, but love is the ending. I no longer feel fear, wooden spoon, and small two-by-four. But I still honor and love and respect and obey my parents. Because of who they are. Because of what they have done for me. Not because they can punish me. When you begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ... You see God's love in action. Jesus is love. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when Jesus Christ died for you and when he died for me, he gave us a living demonstration of hope. You know, Job had the best story at the scar table until Jesus showed up. And when Jesus came in and Jesus tells you what happened, this guy, Jesus, did absolutely nothing wrong. He lived a perfect life and a sinless life. He existed for one reason, and that was to die a death that we all deserve to die. So he could put to death sin and fear and hell. So he could put to death death itself. Jesus is the love of God embodied. And when you run to God, when you run to God, you run to the person of Jesus, who is God visible on this earth. Listen to this phrase in these verses from John, 1 John chapter 4. Whoever, whoever, if you're here today and you're mad at God because of what he has done, whoever, if you're here today and for the injustice in this world and the torture in this world and the disasters in this world have made you say God cannot exist. Whoever, if you're here today and you say there's no way God could love me because you don't know what I've done, Pastor Josh, whoever. If you're here today and you're just like, I'm not sure. I don't know if, I, if I'm following Jesus. Whoever. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him. So we have come to know the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Through the person of Jesus, God walks with you through your pain. 
through the person of Jesus, God understands your pain. And through the person of Jesus, God gives you healing in the midst of pain. And you can feel the loving arms of God embrace you no matter where you are and no matter what you are going through. Jesus has come into this world to free the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. By this love is perfected in us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Tonight, more than wanting you to fear God, I want you to love God. I want you to feel the love of God and be perfected in the love of God and walk in the love of God. And no matter what happens to you, when you are in love with God, he works everything together for good. And we can hold on to this prom those promises no matter what comes. Tonight, as you take these cards and respond, I want to encourage you with this question. Is there pain in your life that is pulling you from God? Or is there pain that is pushing you towards God? And if writing down on the card helps you and you want to name the pain, we will pray that for you. And we will pray that over you if you turn that card in. And on your way out, you can drop the card off in the baskets. We would love to pray that for you tonight. But name that pain. Name that pain and have a conversation with God and say, God, I want to run towards you in this pain. And if you've been running or being pulled away from God in this pain, just ask God to forgive you. Tell him you're, you're sorry about that and he will, he will embrace you fully. Over the next few minutes, we're going to transition from this talk time into a time of remembrance. We're going to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's table or communion. And tonight, if you're here, I want to encourage, and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to participate with us in this time. And mechanically, what's going to happen is Brandon's going to come out and they're going to play a song for us, Man of Sorrows. After that song, we're going to sing a second song called Because He Lives. At some point during that song, the first song, I want to encourage you to come to one of these three stations and grab the, the communion elements. You'll see in here two cups that are stacked together, one with the drink and one with the bread. And then you can take that bread back to your seat or anywhere in the room that you want to go and in your own time and in your own space, go ahead and, and receive that communion. And do it in a spirit of prayer and thankfulness before the Lord. Remembering that Jesus' death for us, the pain that he took on that cross was for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilt for us. And as followers of Jesus, communion is a time where we remember that and we thank God for it. And in this time, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. And if there is sin in your life that's not supposed to be there, ask God to forgive you. He will. His body, his blood is broken for the forgiveness of sins. And you can remember Jesus' death. You can examine yourself and confess sins. And you can proclaim him by just going through this Lord's table time together.
We're not going to give you any other instructions. Once the music starts, it's really just on you to participate it when you're ready. If I was you, I would just pray for a little while or sing, and at some point come up and grab it and sit back down, and then after another prayer, drink the cup and eat the bread. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, tonight I want to encourage you not to participate in communion. The Bible actually warns against it. But I would encourage you to spend this next few moments considering a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, whoever you are and wherever you're at in life, Jesus loves you. And to know for certain that you're a follower of God, it's, simp- it's as simple as believing that Jesus is God. I, I sometimes pray a prayer, encourage people to pray a prayer that's very simple. God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and I want to accept him into my life to save me. If you have that conversation with God tonight, you will then be a follower of Jesus, and your eternal destiny changes. And tonight I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus if you're here and you're not sure. If you're here and you're mad at God, you're upset with him, and you're angry at him, I would also encourage you not to participate in communion until you're able to have that conversation with God. And that may take time, but you may be able to do it even in the next few minutes. And get to the place where you can say, God, I recognize this hurts, but I know you hurt with me, and I'm going to trust you through it. Turn things over to God over this next time. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come together and we remember your death for us, how your body was broken and how your blood was spilled. God, I pray that you would use this time to help us to be thankful for your death on the cross, to remember that, Lord, examine our own hearts and proclaim you. God, I pray that this time would be a time where we can reflect, where we can be, have some self-evaluation, but where we can also worship you fully with our whole hearts, our whole minds, and our whole bodies. In your precious name we pray, amen. Sorrows them of God by those betrayed. Blessed and right of God has been on Jesus' Salvation, we love for 
poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor to Thee. God's own son to purchase every in reconcile the very ones who led him to that dream. And know that rugged cross, my salvation. So cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor And now my day is made, it is waiting for by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my daddy is made, it is painful by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin. Has no hold on me when the sun sets free. Oh, is reading me. You know that rugged cross, my salvation, where love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Stone is rolled away. Behold the empty stone. Hallelujah, God be praised. He's risen from the grave. Know oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Praise and honor to Thee. Praise and honor. 